0: Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello, everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is October 9, 2010, on Saturday or Sabbath or Shabbat. This is a continuation of a Bible study I started last Actually, a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't do a Bible study last Shabbat. We had an emergency situation that we had to attend to. So, But uh, I'm able to do it today, and God willing, I'll be able to do it consistently every Shabbat unless a, a situation comes up out of my control that I must attend to. Anyway, as I was stating, I did a Bible study on one of the brothers, literal brothers, physical brothers, of Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, uh, James. And I explained last week of the prophetic nature of that book, even though it did apply during those times, it also applies today. Well, similarly, another blood brother of uh, Yeshua Messiah is Jude. And Jude also, when you read his epistle, is prophetic as well. It applied back then and it applies today. And I will prove that to you. And both these epistles, the epistle of James and also of Jude, carries a lot of weight. Let's consider the fact that these two individuals lived, slept, and ate with Yeshua Messiah. Much more so than the apostles. So they definitely knew. Our Lord and Savior, very well. They just had a difficult time, as the Gospels reveal, accepting the fact that He was the Messiah until, of course, these things happened, The, uh, the major event, of course, His resurrection and so forth, uh, which, of course, woke them up and many other people that followed into the fact that He was the Messiah. So anyway, as we get into the the Epistle of Jude, we have an awakened Jew, the Jew that is a believer that his brother, physical brother, who is the Messiah, is the Messiah and his master and Lord. So let's begin with the first verse of this uh, significant epistle. Jude, the servant of Jesus, I'm reading the King James Version. uh, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So we know that if he's the brother of James, then this must be another literal, physical brother of Yeshua Messiah. So, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified or set apart by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. And that, you know, mercy, I call my ministry Merciful Servants of God for a reason to try to influence people to understand what pure religion is all about. It's about having compassion, caring about other people, being merciful to other people. So anyway, verse 2, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Now, how do we have peace? Let's turn to Psalm 119, verse 165. Psalm 119, verse 165. This is a Psalm of David great peace have they which love thy torah that should be the correct translation but of course the king james folks wanted to transfer that into english so and when you do that when you transfer one language to another the original language that it was translated in is is in, in a lot of cases more clear than the uh than the language that was that was translated from and right here the word law is the English word for Torah, but Torah is the Hebrew understanding of this, and Torah, or Torah, means teachings. So, great peace have they which love thy teachings, colon, continued it out, and nothing shall offend them, offend meaning to cause them to stumble, to cause them to fall, to cause them to fail. So this is a great promise that God has. Each and every one of us will have peace if we love the teachings of God. And this is not making a distinction of a Jew or a Gentile. This is anyone. Anyone. Now, in verse 166, it states this, Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation. And how do we hope for the salvation of God? Or Elohim? Well, this is what we do. We do thy commandments, and he stated right here, Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments, so that's how we hope, hope means that you, you, you really want something to happen, and you expect it to happen, and what we all as believers, or we should as believers expect to happen, is to be changed from this flesh, this corruptible flesh, into incorruptible flesh, as Paul reveals in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection. That's what the salvation is talking about, our resurrection of our physical bodies to be turned into spiritual bodies as outlined in detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a summary of the gospel message, the good news of the kingdom of God. So verse 166, Lord, I have hope for thy salvation and done thy commandments. Okay, so that's how we have great peace, by loving the teachings of God. So mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Now, what is the Bible's definition of love? I mean, a lot of people don't understand that and don't realize that the Bible gives a definition of love. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 5. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. The love of God, uh, the Hebrew for God, is Elohim. For this is the love of Elohim, that we keep his commandments. And for those people who think his commandments are grievous, and his commandments are not grievous. So that's what your Bible states. Then in Romans. Romans chapter uh, I think it's 13. Yeah, Romans chapter 13 verse 10. It says love works no ill to his neighbor. So for those who want a a clear definition of what love is, according to the Bible, this is it. Uh, Romans 13 verse 10. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law or doing the teachings of god that's what love is we have all kinds of books written throughout the history of mankind trying to define what love is and if you just open your bible and look at this scripture it tells you what love is love is the fulfilling or doing of the torah or teachings of god that's what love is so let's turn to jude again All right, so verse 2, uh, I've explained that mer- what mercy is and peace and love, and he wants all three of these things to be multiplied. And we definitely need to have each and every one of these things be multiplied in the 21st century. There's not enough mercy, there's definitely not enough peace, and there's definitely not, a lo- not, there's definitely not enough love. So we need all those, those three things multiplied here in the 21st century. Verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, the salvation that we hope for by doing the teachings of God, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And this goes hand in hand with his brother James' epistle. Now you notice in James chapter 2 that he stated that faith without works is dead. And I turn, and also when you compare Psalm 119 to verse 166, we realize that that is a faith verse, that we hope for the salvation of Elohim, or God, by what? Doing the teachings of God. So this goes hand in hand. So in, in verse 3, you should earnestly contend for the faith, which has works, of course, which was once delivered unto the saints. And this is prophetic because it was going on back then and it's going on today. I was just reading an article from one of these messianic, uh, I'm not going to give a name, but one of these organizations, and they're trying to state that the Gentiles don't have to keep the Torah, don't have to keep the Sabbath, don't have to keep the holy days. And when you start thinking that way, you're not thinking logically. Uh, in First John, First John. People that claim they believe in Jesus, and I hear a lot of that, Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, well, if you really believe in Jesus, are you willing to do what, it, what um, John, who was very close to Yeshua, stated? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, He that says he abides in him or believes in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Now, how did Christ walk? Well, he attended a Jewish synagogue every Shabbat. Now, I I know that there's extenuating circumstances uh, that will enable some believers not to attend a Jewish synagogue. And I think the number one reason is most Jews don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Well, what do you try to do? You try to attend a messianic uh, synagogue or congregation, but there's problems there, too. A lot of messianic uh, groups or synagogues or assemblies or congregations, believe that there's a different set of laws for the Jews to keep and a different set of teachings, or Torah, for the Gentiles to keep. That's not biblical. That's not biblical, and there's a, these Messianic congregations believe that you have to be circumcised uh, to be accepted or to qualify to keep the Torah. Well the Bible in Genesis chapter 17 does command circumcision. So you should be circumcised to keep the, the Passover, as it states there in Exodus chapter 12. However, what many of these messianic congregations are referring to as far as the circumcision is what was referred to in the first century that Paul talks about and condemns, is the ritual, the Jewish ritual that is even being conducted today, probably as I'm speaking, of <laughs> uh, of being circumcised in a ritual, religious ritual, to be accepted and to be accepted among the Jews to become a Jew and then you can keep Torah. You don't have to become a Jew to keep Torah. The only qualifications for you to be able to keep Torah is to become a believer of Yeshua Messiah who is a Jew and to obey the law. Now one of the things in the law it states that you should be circumcised, but that circumcision is not for religious purposes, is because God commands you to do it, just like he commands us not to eat pork. He commands each male to be circumcised, but not to be uh, as a qualification for salvation. And that's pretty plain when you read that commandment. In Genesis chapter 17, Abraham was obeying God before the circumcision, ritual. Okay? So that proves that, that that law, does. Is not saying, oh, you get circumcised, you automatically uh, qualify. So, what about? Let's use an example. What, what if there's someone, and there's been some people that has never gotten circumcised, never understood they should be circumcised, but they did everything else right. Uh, when they die, is God going to resurrect them and throw them in hellfire because they didn't get circumcised? Of course not. Okay, so let's let's be realistic here. If you know you should get circumcised according to the law of the Torah, you should. All right. For those who don't know any better, God will. Uh, Recognize that and be fair about it. Okay, so it's only sin to those who know it's sin. Okay, so that that that's pretty plain. Let me uh, find that scripture here. I know that's somewhere around here. So we we have to understand these things, and it's very important to um, understand that God is an equal opportunity God. Which means that his law is for everyone; it's not just for the Jews. Now, Israel and the Jews—they, I'm just finding the scripture here in First in James. It actually is in James, the last, yeah, the chapter four, not the last chapter, but in James four, verse seventeen. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Okay, so that's in James four, verse seventeen. If you don't know what you're doing, and if you're taught wrong, then God is not going to hold that against you, which proves, again, uh, and I did a Bible study in the Great White Throne Judgment. A lot of people don't interpret that correctly. They think that that judgment is a judgment of the damned. That's impossible because uh, in in Acts it states that God had winked. Let's turn there, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And verse 29, it states, For so must then, as we are the offspring of God, and Paul was talking to the Greeks, so he's saying we're all his children. We ought not to think that the Godhead or Elohim head is like unto gold, silver, or stone graven by art and man's device. Verse 30, And the times of this ignorance, God winked at, or he overlooked it. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Verse 31, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Righteousness is keeping God's commandments. In Psalm one nineteen verse one seventy two, by that man whom he hath ordained, he has given assurance unto all that in that he has raised him from the dead. So if God winked at the ignorance, or not ignorance means not to know, he winked at prior to the first century, prior to Jesus being murdered at the cross. He winked at the ignorance of mankind about his law. Do you think that when those folks get resurrected, he's going to toss them in the lake of fire? Of course not. Because I just read to you, and remember, this epistle was written by the Lord's brother, physical brother, who knew him probably just as much as even more than uh, the apostles, because uh, he spent more time with him. James 4, verse 17 states, Therefore to him that knows to do good, and does it not? To him it is sin. So that right there proves that the great right throne judgment will consist of those people who, in all likelihood, will be tossed in the lake of fire. But also it will include people who did not know any better, and they will be given an opportunity. Okay, they will be given an opportunity. But those who knew better will not be given an opportunity. So that, that's the clarification of that. All right, let's turn back to Jude. All right, so Jude, now, starting in verse 4, For there are certain men, and there were men back then, and definitely men today, crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace or the favor of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what, I hate to say this, but it's going it's, it's, it's in certain messianic congregations and, of course, our, quote, Christian, end of quote, um, churches in the United States and around the world, they turn grace into lasciviousness. I'm not saying all of them do, but the major- a vast majority of them do. The prophecies reveal that. And, and there was, this was a problem back in the days of Jude, in the first century, and it's a problem today in the 21st century, 2,000 years later. And, and, and it's just something that God wants us to be aware of through the writings, or the writing of Jude here. And we have to pay attention to this. It's a, it's a great sin. God's people, his true believers, are scattered worldwide because of this, turning grace into lasciviousness. And, and we need to to understand the consequences of this, and, and, and uh, let's look up this word in the original Greek for those who may be struggling with uh, the word lasciviousness. It means, uh, according to Strong's concordance, uh, to be filthy, to be filthy. And let me look up this word up using our word study. Licentious. Brutal. Absence of restraint. Insatiable desire for pleasure. Insatiable means you just can't get enough. Arrogant. Lustfulness. Pleasure. That's all you're thinking about. And that's what ministries do today. I'm not giving any names, but you have quite a few ministries stating the fact that God wants everybody to be rich, you know, physically. And and uh, there's many Christian congregations, they believe in speaking in tongues, bouncing up and down, doing somersaults, and going blah, 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 you know, like that, you know, and, and doing other things. That is just totally ridiculous. Uh, that's turning the favor of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 5 of Jude, I will therefore put you in remembrance... So you once knew this, (laughs) how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. See, this is a, a warning for us today, especially back then, but definitely now, because we are living in the age that God told Daniel that knowledge shall be increased. And we have knowledge. We have more biblical knowledge. We have more physical knowledge. We have knowledge of everything that we need to figure these things out. But Jude is warning, the brother of Jesus Christ. He's warning us here in verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, so they forgot, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, and Egypt is a type of the world, afterward destroyed them that believe not. He destroyed them that believe not. Verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate or their habitation, which was heaven, obviously, but left their own habitation, heaven, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. And, and people have debate back and forth of whether or not angels uh, had sex with human beings and so forth. Uh, looking at what uh, Josephus has stated and then what Enoch stated, which... Uh, was very respected in the first century and also was found among the dead sea scrolls. So obviously this book, and for Jude to quote from Enoch, which I'm going to read here in a minute, that he actually quoted from the book of Enoch, and this is the Lord's brother, okay? Obviously it must be an important book for us to read. And in that book it talks about angels having sex with Women, and then in Genesis chapter six it talks about that, and and then when you look at the context of that, it talks about giants on the earth. In the context of the sons of God, which many people debate, always talking about humans, always talking about angels. Uh, when you really combine all the scriptures together, it's talking about angels, folks. Okay, and for Jude to even talk about angels in the context of uh, them leaving their habitation, obviously they must have done very something very serious for him to even mention this. Okay. He has reserved an everlasting change under darkness. Why are they in chains for? Obviously, they have a serious problem. That's why they're in chains, all right. And uh, under darkness into judgment of the great day. Now, this is interesting that he links the sin of angels with Sodom and Gomorrah. So it must be some type of uh, sexual thing also that was going on with the angels. Verse seven, and to prove that, even as, okay. Now even as means in the original, it says in in that manner. Even as, like. Okay. So that that's that's another scripture to prove that obviously uh there is some some something sexual going on with the angels. Okay. So let's continue to read the rest of this. Okay, and then and the angels which kept not there. Okay, I already read that verse seven. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, in similar manner. Here we go again. In like manner, in what manner? <laughs> Based on uh, verse six of Jude. That's what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. And let's read the rest of it. I'm just looking at something else here. So even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. In what manner? The manner that it's talking about in verse 6. Giving themselves, so sex was involved here, giving themselves over to the fornication and going after strange flesh. What strange flesh were they going after? The flesh of angels. Remember, in Genesis chapter 18, they lusted after, or was it 19? Genesis 19, they lusted after the angels. They wanted to have sex with the angels. And for those people who think that that's not the case, and they try to eisegesis that, let's turn to Genesis chapter 19. Very simple to figure this out. Verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, compassed the house around about, old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And that word know in the original Hebrew uh, is yadah. It means to know, and it means to know... Uh, in, in in a uh, literal way, in, in a sexual way, that's what that means in the original Hebrew. So that's what they were desiring. They were desiring something wicked. So that that's what that's talking about there. Uh, the word it, it, it also refers to knowing a person sexually. Similarly used in Genesis 4, verse 1, when it says, And Adam knew Eve his wife. Same Hebrew word used there. And then in 1 Kings 1, verse 4. And it says, And the damsel was very fair and cherished the king and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. In other words, he didn't have sex with her. So that's what they wanted to do, and this is only confirmed by what Judah stated about what they were doing. And the angels had a sexual problem as well. And that's confirmed through Jewish tradition as well as the general text of Genesis chapter 6. Okay. So, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over this fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire so these people were lusting after angel flesh and then the angels were lusting after human flesh so that that that's what was going on that that's what was going on and then the bible of course talks about both cases to be perversion and it it just wasn't right And then even in the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, In Sodom, Amor, and the surrounding cities, following a pattern like theirs. Well, Let me read it again. Jude 1, verse 6. This is in the complete Jewish Bible version by David Stern. And the angels that did not keep within their original authority, but abandoned their proper spirit, which was heaven, he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains, for the judgment of the great day. And Sodom. So this tells you right there that this epistle has an end-time focus. And verse 7, and Sodom and Omar and the surrounding cities, following a pattern like theirs, like the angels, committing sexual sins and perversions, lie exposed as a warning of the everlasting fire awaiting those who must undergo punishment. Okay? So let's go back. So that's scriptural proof that the angels had a sex problem. Genesis chapter 6 reveals that. And you combine Jude chapter 1, verse 5 to 6, and there's no way anyone, if they want to believe the Bible, can say that the angels didn't have a sex problem. So anyway, and sure, Christ said that they don't have sex, and they shouldn't, but the evil angels do what God doesn't want them to do. And he's talking about the evil angels. Of course, the righteous angels don't desire to have sex. Anyway, Jude 1, verse 8. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Okay? So that, that's the characteristic that was prevalent back then. is prevalent today. And unfortunately, it's prevalent among the people of God. Jude 1, verse 8. Likewise, in the complete Jewish Bible version. Likewise, these people with their visions defile their own flesh. Are you saying... You, You're destroying your own flesh acting like this. You despise godly authority by acting like this, and you insult angelic beings, which is pretty interesting in this translation, dignitaries. And then the the word in the original Greek is doxa. It it can mean also um, dignitaries or uh, honor or worship. So it could be referring to that. Let me look at another translation here. Yeah, the glorious, blasphemy and the glorious ones, yeah. All right, Jude 1, verse 9, that's in the um, English Standard Version. All right, Jude 1, verse 9, yet Michael, the archangel, and this is referring to which uh, extra-biblical book is this referring to here? Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, it's referring to the apocryphal book called The Ascension of Moses. So, again, <laughs> and this is just significant. This is the brother, little brother of, of Yeshua, okay? and he's referring to an apocryphal book about Moses. Obviously, the apocryphal book, the extra-biblical writings, a lot of it is commentary that's supported by the Bible. Some of it isn't, but you have to use the Bible as a guide to, to accept what is and what isn't. Obviously, Jude, the brother of Jesus, is telling and confirming to us that there is some truth in the Ascension of Moses, which is an apocryphal book. Okay, So he says, yet Michael the archangel, and he got this from the Ascension of Moses, went contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. So this is a good example. Michael respected the devil's position. He is the ruler of this world. And he didn't curse Adam or whatever. What he what he did tell him is that, hey, let the Lord correct you or rebuke thee. Verse ten. And this word, rebuke, in the original Greek means to charge thee, to forbid. That's what it means. Verse 10 of Jude. But these speak evil of things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. They corrupt themselves. Let's let's look at another version here to get a clearer. However, these people insult anything they don't understand. And what they do understand naturally without thinking like animals, by these things they are destroyed. They are destroyed. It says, Woe or danger unto them or great sorrow unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. So let's look at each of, each one of these situations because For the Lord's brother to refer to each of these situations, obviously, is pretty serious in an end-time setting as well. Uh, Now, we know the situation with uh, Cain. Cain was stingy with his offering to God, and we, we understand that when God asked, what did he do, or where is his brother that he had murdered, he said, well, am I my brother's keeper? And yes, he is his brother's protector. And... Unfortunately, a lot of people, even in messianic or uh, Christian churches, don't really love the people of God like they should. They have the attitude of Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. We are all our brother's keeper, and we better learn to um, love our brothers and, and take care of them. Uh, hold your place here and turn to First John. Chapter three, and we should learn how to love everyone because of this. First John chapter three, verse uh, sixteen. Actually, start in verse fifteen, and this is talking about Cain right here. Well, actually, let's turn to first. uh, uh, Yeah, just go a little above there. First John, three verse eleven. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And why did he slew him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So he was jealous of his own brother. And instead of using jealousy to provoke him to do right, he used it to provoke him to do evil. Verse 13, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. So he said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Verse 15, whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer have eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, hereby perceive we love, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren and gives him as an example here. But whosoever have this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? So we can't have that selfish, stingy attitude of Cain. That's a warning, ladies and gentlemen. And unfortunately, many of the people of God had that attitude today. Matthew chapter 25, it talks about the ten virgins. uh, Many of us are asleep. We need to be woke up. And I hope it's not by a nuclear bomb that we woke up, that we finally are waking up to reality and realize what we need to do. Realize that religion is not about trying to get yourself protected and trying to focus on a place of safety. And Proverbs chapter 1 tells you that if you trust God and believe God and follow his teachings, you will be protected. And you will not be allowed to suffer what you can't handle if you believe him and if you have faith and trust in him. So, back to Jude. So that's Cain's problem. We have to make sure that we aren't stingy and that we learn how to love everyone. And, of course, believers. Like they are our brothers and sisters. Because we all, as I revealed to you in Acts chapter 17, we all are brothers and sisters all are family and God wants a big family and he will receive a big family one day and have a big family so in, in Jude 1 verse 11 woe or uh, great sorrow unto them for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gain thing of Kor now the error of Balaam what was the error of Balaam well, let's take a look at a few scriptures. Let's look at um Revelation chapter two verse fourteen. And this is um actual words from our Lord and Savior here. Revelation two verse fourteen. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine or the teachings of Balaam and Yeshua states here, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed into idols, and to commit fornication. So that was Balaam's problem. Also his problem was that he wanted to prophesy for money. And that is something that's unfortunately prevalent among many churches today and, and this society, and Jude 1, verse 11, the companion scripture to this, to help you understand this, is um, in Peter, 2 Peter 2, verse 15, where it states this, 2 Peter 2, verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, who love the wages of unrighteousness. If you look at the context of Numbers 23 and 24, he talks about silver and gold and God told him not to to uh to go a certain place unless individuals came to him. He didn't want to do that. He obviously was lusting for the silver and gold and he went on ahead anyway. And then of course the donkey situation. And then in Micah Micah chapter three Verse eleven it states The heads therefore judge for reward as Uh, Balaam did, and the priests, therefore, teach for hire, and the prophets, therefore, divine for money. And unfortunately, many of them do that today in this country. Yet will they lean upon the Lord, colon continues, yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, it's not the Lord among us. None evil can come upon us. And the scripture is saying, if you're going around uh, having websites, and I see many of these websites uh, where they have a a tab or a menu uh, section of the bar stating products, Get my products. There's no way on earth, and I was discussing this with my wife today, that I can see Yeshua Messiah or his apostles or his followers selling their books or their literature. That's nowhere to be found uh, in in the history of the first century church, the first century Jewish church. You're you're not going to find that. In Isaiah chapter uh, 55, Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Now he's talking, you're going to see here, he's talking about his words here. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that have no money, come ye buy, eat, Yeah. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, he's not talking about food. He's talking about eating his words or as he told Ezekiel to do. And, and John, in the book of Revelation, to eat the scroll. Verse 2, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is satisfied not? Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. is somewhat of a prophecy because our people, especially, We focus too much on food, 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 but we don't focus on the real food, the food that's going to gain us eternal life, God's words, the food for our minds, that's what I'm talking about, and that's what God is talking about. We need to feed our minds on a daily basis, and we do that first with God's words, second, secondarily, secondarily, physical knowledge, okay, so first you have spiritual knowledge and then... And second place is physical knowledge. So verse 3, incline your ear and come unto me, hear or understand, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting agreement or covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. So God wants you to listen. So this reveals that he's not talking about food here. He's talking about listening to his words. And those words are to be free Ministers, for those who are listening to me, who are ministers or rabbis or Torah teachers, you shouldn't be selling any of your literature. No, the people have to support you. Yeah, the people support you, but they should support you as far as your basic necessities. And I talk about this uh, in one of my uh, Bible studies that I have in the archives. I think the title of it Should Ministers Charge for Their Literature? Please study that. And then study my article that I wrote on tithes and offerings, which I'm still adding to. Uh, it's going to be a comprehensive article, but it's enough material for you to learn from God's perspective. And one of the things that I learned uh, by uh, reading the, uh, the sketches of Jewish social life by Edersheim. Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M, Edersheim, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, Alfred Edersheim, or Edersheim. It's a very excellent book. It gives you the, the background of Jewish life in the first century. And one of the striking things in the book, it reveals that rabbis had an occupation. They had a regular job along with preaching. Uh, so did Paul. So the concept of ministers uh, just waiting to be supported by the people and not them not working is not a concept that is supported by the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. Matter of fact in the last couple of verses of the book of Acts it states that Paul rented a house. Okay, obviously he was working. So anyway, um now it talks about Korah here in Jude and I need to finish up here. Um uh, in Jude. Let's go back. Now, Kor, what, what, what was the deal with Kor? Well, we know that Kor rebelled against God. He didn't like the fact that Moses and Aaron were the head honchos. They, he he wanted to be the head honcho. So, if you study Numbers chapter sixteen, God caused an earthquake and swallowed him up. <laughs> and uh, you, you don't want to get you don't want to mess with God's servants, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, when you do that, you will get it eventually. And, and the case with Korah proves that. And also what you must understand in First Samuel chapter 5, 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 23. says, For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So when you're stubborn, that means you don't want to do what you're supposed to do. It's sin. And it's idolatry when you do that. And and, and he stated this to um, King Saul, the first king of Israel. He says, because thou has rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. So you can also be rebellious, not just by obeying simple commandments from an individual, but also you can be rebellious by rejecting the words of God. And this rejection can also be if you're bored while somebody's preaching or... If you're just not paying attention, your mind is drifting off somewhere else, that's also rebellion. That's also rebellion. You have to repent of that. You have to focus on God and realize without God, you would not have any of these things that you lust and desire for. And there's nothing wrong with lusting and desire as long as it's controlled and as long as it's the right thing to lust and desire for. Like you should lust and desire for the things of God. But you should not lust and desire for something that's not yours. God wants his words to be available to everyone, so it's everyone's. So there's nothing wrong with desiring that. All right, number 16, if you want a, a detailed description of what happens when you do mess around with a servant of God, someone that's been proven to be a servant of God, and read that and learn from it. And be careful when you notice somebody that, through his fruits, uh, his actions and, and and, and, and is doing that he is or she is a servant of God. Don't talk about them, don't gossip about them and don't say bad things about them because it's going to end up biting you in the behind. I guarantee you it will and 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 you're going to get hurt tremendously when you talk about true believers in an untrue way. The example of Korah proves that. Also, I I wanted to read something that's pretty interesting about Moses. Many people don't realize this. But Moses, he didn't want to take anything from the people. He had the, the attitude of Paul. Let's turn to Numbers. Numbers chapter 16. It's up in here. And let me see. And starting in verse uh, 12 of Numbers chapter 2, And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing, and this is in verse 13 of Numbers 16, Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make make thyself altogether a prince over this? Well, Moses didn't make himself a prince over them. God did. But, of course, when you're sinning and you don't think straight. And when you don't think straight, you say stupid stuff. Then number 16, verse 14, Moreover, thou hast not brought us into the land that floweth with milk and honey or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will thou put out the eyes of these men? Will we, not, we will not come up. Verse 15, Moses was very angry and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. So, you know, uh, Moses didn't have this attitude of taking stuff from the people like a lot of these ministers do today. So I just wanted to to point that out to you. All right, back to Jude. Getting ready to finish up here. Have about uh, ten minutes left here. All right, getting back to Jude here. So we understand the rebellion of course. Of, uh, so the things we have to be careful of in this end time, ladies and gentlemen, Number one, the stinginess of Cain. We can't be stingy when we give to God and give to other people. We must learn how to love our neighbors. We must run away from ministries, basically, that focus on, it's like this one, a, a call, a toll-free number, and I wanted to see whether or not they had a congregation around where I lived at. And the first thing that comes out their mouth, is, what will you be donating today? It's just the whole focus is, is on getting money instead of helping people. And that's what we've got to steer away from in terms of Balaam. Also, we've got to watch for false prophesying and false teachings, which Balaam symbolizes, and uh, particularly sexual fornication. That's a problem in this country, a problem worldwide. And then, of course, we must avoid the rebellion of, of, of uh, Korah. And realize the following. And and this is something that many people don't want to realize. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, this is all scripture here. And he, the Messiah, gave some apostles. Some, not everyone. Apostles. And some prophets. And some evangelists. And some pastors and teachers. Verse 12. He didn't give everyone these gifts. He gave some people some of these gifts. Verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he gave some people these gifts, not for their own benefit only, but for everyone's benefit. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. So we should all believe the same thing. Unfortunately, we don't. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. God wants us to all be perfect men and women. That's the, go- that's the reason why we keep the Torah, keep the teachings of God. And to the measure of the stature, of the fullness of Christ, will is a perfect man. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. God considers you still spiritually children if you're tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. They give you an example without giving a name, We, uh, me and my wife uh, listened to someone that thought that the mosques would get nuked uh, at, uh, during the uh, trumpets, uh, festival of trumpets. It didn't happen. He thought that The Ark of the Covenant will be revealed this year um, during the the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It was not. Okay, that's that's the kind of stuff. Now, he did say, to his credit, he did state that he could be wrong, but what he stated is that if I'm wrong, then it it could be, I, 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 I don't know, I don't have a clue, and it can be many years before Christ comes back, and I totally disagree with him about that because the signs show that Christ will be coming back here in this century, unless I'm misunderstanding something. But according to my comprehension, I I just don't see this world continuing on past the 21st century the way we are right now. Verse 14, That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine or teaching by the sly of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. That's prevalent today, ladies and gentlemen. It's a prophecy. Verse 15. But speaking the truth, what is truth, ladies and gentlemen? What is truth? Psalm 119 tells you what truth is. Verse 142. What is truth? Psalm 119. Verse 142 says, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law, O Torah, the teachings of God, is the truth. That's what the truth is, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible tells you what love is, tells you what truth truth is, too, if we just read it. Okay. So, in verse 12, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding... Themselves with fear, clouds are that are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit wither without twice. Without uh, this is back in Jude one verse twelve because I don't have too much time left here. I got to finish here. Five minutes. Uh, These are spots in your feet of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees with whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So people who continue in this type of rebellion, the rebellion of Kor, being involved with with ministries uh, that obviously are just preaching for money and and believing these folks are with God when they're not, and then also having the, the rotten attitude of Cain being stingy and not loving your neighbor, you're on your way out. That's what God is telling you. In verse 14, And Enoch also, the seven from Adam, and this is taken from the book of Enoch. The Lord's brother is quoting from this. So obviously the book of Enoch does have some credible information in it. And Enoch also, the seven from Adam, prophesied to these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. So this is talking about the second coming of Christ in the book of Jude. Verse 15, To execute judgment upon all, and to con- convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs, complainers, we've got to stop complaining, walking after their own lusts and their mouth, speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And we can't get into that, ladies and gentlemen. We can't listen to people with their smooth talk. And, and we, we have to look at their actions. That's what tells you whether or not someone is true or not and what they're saying. These people are grumblers and complainers. This is in the complete Jewish Bible version. They follow their evil passions. Their mouths speak, speak of uh, things. And they flatter others to gain advantage. To gain advantage. Then uh, in Jude 1 verse 16 in, in the English Standard Version of the Bible, how much time I get left? Three minutes. It says, these are grumblers malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage, and that's a sin to do that. I'm going to continue to read this in the English Standard Version for clarity's sake. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the predictions of the apostles, not these so-called prophets. Verse 18, they said to you, in the last time, which we're living in now, there will be scoffers firing their own ungodly passions, It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So all this is causing divisions, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Having mercy, ladies and gentlemen, not knowing the latest prophecy, leads to eternal life. Verse 22, and have mercy on those. He's stressing mercy so, so much here because God knows. And, and him knows that back then and, and especially now, mercy and compassion is lacking among most people in the world. Verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy. Here we go again. Emphasis on mercy with fear. Fear, what is fear? Fear is to hate evil, the fear of God. Proverbs 8, verse 13. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So be it. This is a wonderful epistle. It has a lot of important things that we need to focus on to clean our minds up before the second coming of Christ. It's not a surprise to me that in the uh, he talks about the second coming of Christ toward the end of this epistle. So this is a, a prophetic epistle. Uh, we must pay attention to everything that the Lord's brother is saying here and to avoid people that are pretenders, that uh, want to preach for money and, and just has a focus on just getting money from you, that just through their actions and also their words show you that they just aren't of God. And we must learn how to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and we must learn how to have mercy. And we must get the rebellious attitude out of us uh, when we don't want to obey the word of God or we think it's boring. That's rebellion. And is warning us if, if we have any of these elements, we won't be around. If everything will be dark. We'll be dead. We won't have eternal life. So please keep that in mind when you study uh, these two books. You ought to study the book of James and the book of Jude. These are now books you to clean cleanse your mind of imperfections may the lord keep you and protect you and i will speak to you next week god willing malachi chapter four for behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea and all that do wickedly shall be stubble